Wildover podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. This is a podcast that celebrates self-expression. It's a podcast that celebrates self-truth and putting ourselves out into the world and the beauty and power in that. My name is Sam. I am your host and this is my first episode. And so for these first two episodes, I wanted to share two of my own stories. They're important because they give some context context as to why I celebrate self-expression and how I learned the importance of it. We can't really get into self-expression without also talking about the things that fracture self-expression, the things that make it hard for us to express ourselves. I learned through the two stories I'm about to share that you can't really fully sparkle. You can't put yourself out there to be fully like seen and shine in the world if there's a part of you that you won't look at, that you kind of put in the corner, maybe that you're embarrassed to have, that you won't show anyone else, that you ignore. And I find that when we do that, when we cut off a part of ourselves, our emotions, our experiences, or we shame ourselves, they tend to still show up in different ways. They tend to manifest in some other part of our life in a way that usually is unpleasant. For me, feeling my emotions, particularly emotions that I repressed and had shame around, and then letting other people see me in those emotions has been the most powerful pathway to claiming personal expression, to claiming personal power and sovereignty, and to making changes in my life that align with my expression and how I want my life to look. So I'm going to share two stories where I learned the importance of connecting to myself and my emotions, where I learned the importance of releasing shame around these emotions and letting people see me in them, letting people see what I was experiencing and trying my best to not judge myself for what I was experiencing. My experiences, these stories led me to celebrate myself and my power and my confidence and my self-expression in ways that I did not have access to before. And it's also allowed me to celebrate in other people because I realize how amazing and powerful and also brave it is to put yourself out there and to allow other people to see the things that you may be embarrassed of or see as flaws. These are both vulnerable stories for me. I'm like, Sometimes I'm like, am I really going to put these out to the world? But I am, and I'm excited about it too. I'm excited too, because I know that I am not alone in these experiences, and they can feel isolating. These sorts of experiences can feel isolating. A lot of times, things that you're ashamed about or that you painful memories, you feel like you're alone in them, or you feel like there's something wrong with you for having them. I want to share these and contribute to a conversation or spark a conversation because my hope is that it might inspire others to be able to share a part of themselves or to be a little more okay with a part of themselves or to look or think differently about something that they've experienced because my vision for the world is that people love themselves (laughs) I know that maybe sounds cheesy but it's true that's my vision I, everybody is, everybody is so unique and special. My vision is that each person will get a little more comfortable with their uniqueness and let it shine out to others a little bit more. Okay, so I'm ready to get into this. Let's go. 
this episode will cover the first story. The next episode will cover the second story that I'm going to share. I do have other ones that led me to my greater self-expression, but um, I want to start with these two. I also want to provide a content warning. I'm going to be speaking about assault in this episode today, physical assault. If that doesn't feel good for you right now, I invite you to skip this episode or pause it and come back later. This story begins in the summer of 2018. I am sitting in a federal courthouse in New Orleans. I worked there, so I had this awesome office with big windows of downtown New Orleans. It was a really sunny day and I was at work I think on like a Saturday. I was alone in the office and I was mostly alone in the building. There's always security in um, federal courthouses. There's some of the safest buildings in any city. There's a lot of security in them. And in your off in my office, I knew no one could get in there without my permission. But I was sitting at my desk and my throat was feeling like it was about to close. And I remember sipping my water and speaking aloud because I knew that if I could still swallow and if I could still swallow, if I could still speak, then my throat wasn't closing. And I felt scared. I felt scared that someone was going to harm me. Someone was going to come here into this office and hurt me, even though intellectually I knew that that was impossible. And even though I knew I was really safe. And this wasn't a new feeling. I had had this feeling of being harmed, this fear of being harmed that was really occurring a lot more frequently. I would get a lot more scared walking from my car to my house than I used to or from work to my office parking lot, even though it was lit and safe and often light outside and there are lots of people. I would have, my heart would beat and my throat would feel like it was closing. And this feeling of my throat closing was not even exclusive to feeling unsafe. By the summer of 2018, I was experiencing that on a regular basis, my throat closing. I would be watching TV with my partner and I would feel like my throat was closing and I would sip water and remind myself, you're safe, you're safe, you're safe. You can swallow, you can breathe, you're not going to die, you can breathe. I remember being on a plane and being sure my throat was going to close. It was like a mix of being sure that I had this was going to have like some sort of allergic reaction because that was like the only reason my throat would just spontaneously close. But it was also tied in some sort of like intense fear in my body. I remember being on a plane. I remember being in the car and just thinking, okay, if my throat closes, how like would the plane be able to land in time and get me medical attention is there do they have some sort of medication on here that will open this up because I would be sure that it was closing it felt so tight and it felt like there was not a lot I could do about this except try to calm down try to breathe talk and show myself your throat's not closing and by this time by by summer of 2018, when the story begins, this had been happening for about a year with more and more frequency. So I had already had dozens of these experiences and I knew that I was prone to them, that this kept happening, but it didn't mean that I could just discount the fear pulsing through my body. This created a lot of anxiety for me. That's like the only way I could really term this. I was developing some sort of anxiety that made me think that I couldn't breathe and that made me think that my throat was closing. And it was really confusing because this was the happiest year of my life. I had graduated law school the year before and I had the best job in the world. It was only, it was like a job that you get hired to do for one year. It's called clerking. 
And it was incredible. I had the best teachers and such support and I was learning so much and I had really interesting experiences. I was living in the greatest city in the world, New Orleans, or the greatest city for me in the world. Being in New Orleans makes my heart sing. I feel so good and so alive and so connected to that city. And I loved it. I was so in love with it. I was living with my best friend of... 15 years, one of my oldest friends, we grew up together in Arizona. She moved to New Orleans about a year after I did, and we got to live together for two years. And it was so fun because it made me feel like I was with family. I was in, and still am, in this incredible, loving, and supportive relationship. And we were having so much fun, and I just felt really secure. I felt really safe. And I had become. You know, this was the first, I since I went, I'm a lawyer, and I went straight from undergrad into law school. So this was my first time where I had like carved out leisure time. I had work. I had a salary. I was making money. And then I had times at night and the weekend where I didn't have to work. Where when you're in law school, there's kind of this like, even if you're not working, kind of feel like you should. There's always... It's, it was really difficult for me to have hobbies. I was really busy in law school and I also didn't have an income. And so for the first time I had all this spare time or I had kind of carved out spare time and I had a uh, salary. And so I was experimenting with so many hobbies. I was working out consistently for the first time since I was in high school. I was eating really well. I was getting really into different food things because I had a lot of stomach issues and I was getting really serious about healing those and it was working. And I was exploring a lot and I had this amazing social life. I had an awesome group of friends and every weekend I would do something fun, like the whole weekend. And even on the weeknights, I was always going to see live music and going to festivals and going to fun restaurants and I just felt so happy. And I still think of it as probably the happiest year of my life so far. I'm, really, I'm happy now too, but it was a different animal back then. And so this onset of anxiety and this onset that my throat was closing felt really embarrassing for me. I am a super happy person and super enthusiastic. And so having anxiety, even though I was like, I feel like I've always had a pretty good understanding of relatively of mental health. Um, it was something I was exposed to and I was really young and because I had a family member, an extended family member who struggled a lot with mental health. And I, I knew that it was something that shouldn't be stigmatized, that it's something you shouldn't be embarrassed about, that there's nothing wrong or embarrassing about experiencing depression or anxiety. And that's something you should feel comfortable getting treatment for. And it's something that there should be accessible mental health treatment for. I knew all of that intellectually, but I never experienced it before in the same way. And so when I started to experience it, I was like, this is so embarrassing for me. Um, which is, you know, I wish I felt differently about it, but that was true. I felt embarrassed. I didn't really want to tell people about it. I thought it made me sound crazy. I just kept feeling like my throat was closing. And I talked to a friend about it who encouraged me to see a therapist. She had seen a therapist who was really supportive for her. And I'm like, you know, so down for therapy, but I didn't really want to go see one myself, um, which is hilarious because now I'm like obsessed with my therapist and like want everyone to go see one. And so I just didn't really know what to do with this. I was like, I don't want to live like this forever, but I couldn't see what could be causing it. It felt random. 
it felt like this was just something that started happening now that I was, I was 25, now that I was 25 and I couldn't do anything about it. And I was going to have to live with this. Like what help would therapy do when my life was perfect and I have never experienced anything that could trigger this. That's what I thought. I thought I've never experienced anything that could impact this. I've had such a lovely life. And so I just kept ignoring it and it kept developing and getting worse and getting scary. And the idea of camping, which I love to camp or flying started to get scarier because I was like, well, what if my throat actually does close? Because every time it would start to tighten, I would think, well, maybe this is a time it actually is go- it's actually closing right now. And if I'm in the middle of nowhere, or if I'm on a plane, I'm going to die. So then this is now June 2018. It's summer. And I, like I said, I, ha- I was really having fun exploring different things. I was trying on different hobbies. I wanted to get more hobbies. And there's this great juice bar in New Orleans called Raw Republic. And upstairs, they don't have it anymore, but they used to have this thing called The Space at Raw Republic. And they would do like workshop events all kind of around spiritual modalities. I had signed up for one that was a crystal and sound healing workshop. And I thought I would go learn about what crystals were. I would like, I was like seeing them around and the place I worked out had them. And I was trying to figure out like, what are, what's the point of these? And why does everybody seem to like them so much? I get up there, I'm on the second floor and there's all these pillows and mats lined up and there's, it's being hosted by um, a man and a woman, both in their middle age. There's about five participants And I realized, oh, this isn't a workshop where we're learning about crystals. This is like a ceremony. And they instruct us to lie down, to cover our eyes. And they tell us before, okay, we're going to, the woman is going to be working on your energy field and clearing your energy and working with crystals. And the man is going to be doing a sound healing. And where he, he was an incredible musician and he had instruments from all over the world and he was using these instruments to make like a landscape or a yeah like a landscape of sound um they're really cool and I like want to at some point learn to be able to facilitate sound healings because they're amazing they tell us okay this is going to be work this isn't something you just lie in and enjoy think about be proactive here think about something that you want to heal set the intention here And I remember laying down and thinking like on this like hippie mat with this tie dye silk thing over my eyes and everything smelled like incense and thinking, this is fun. And also like, what do I have to heal? My life is perfect. And then I was like, oh yeah, you keep having these crippling episodes where you feel like your throat's healing and you're also afraid of being alone and like afraid of being outside. You know, this was... This was evident to me, but I don't think a lot of people in my life really noticed this going on. I kind of kept it to myself and it was only sometimes that I would like freak out and break out in tears and whatnot. And so I lie down and we start and I remember feeling kind of the intensity right away hit me quickly, like within a minute. There was this memory that had kept rolling around that was telling me, you need to look at this. This memory might be connected to this anxiety. But I outright refused to. And this memory came up. And so now the story is going back even further. We're going back to December. I think it was about early December. It was right around finals of 2011. I was a sophomore in college. 
in North Carolina, and I was 19 years old. It's a weekday. It was, I think, a Thursday, and there was, like, an event going on, so we weren't... I lived in my sorority house at the time. There's um, every... Like our whole pledge class, so like all the girls who joined the sorority the same year. It's called a pledge class. There's 50 of us. We all lived in our sorority house our sophomore year. So when we would go out, we would go out like 30 people deep. And there was some sort of event that night. So that wasn't the case. So I went out with like four or five girls. And I had a, ha- I mean, I was going out a lot then and I was drinking really heavily on a regular basis. And we got to dinner, then we go have drinks. It was a really fun night, it was really casual. And a fraternity that I loved hanging out at was having some people over, just kind of like a hangout, not like a full party. So we go over there, and that's the last thing I remember. The next thing I remember is being at a different fraternity. There are like a few fraternities kind of in our social group that we would go to, and this was one of them. It wasn't an unusual place for me to be generally, but it was unusual for me to have gone there that night. And I was running in a stairwell. I was running from the second floor where the bedrooms were to the first floor, which was more of like a gathering space. And I was running from another student who was a, I'm almost certain was a member of this fraternity. He's running right behind me. He's a few steps. And at the bottom, like two steps from the bottom, he catches up with me and he wraps his hand I don't know if it was one or two, around my neck, and I can't breathe. And I remember gasping for air and knowing I I needed to fight and elbowing and flailing my arms and trying to reach and, like, stomp on his feet and do leaning forward, doing everything I can to get out of there. And then he just let me go. He just removed his hand, and I remember falling forward and taking really deep breaths, and running out of there, and that's my last memory. I woke up in my bed, and went and looked at the mirror, and examined the bruises on my neck, which were light, just a few, and then all these, like, little vertical lines, like, maybe 20 or 30 of them in a row, I think where the finger was, like, the index finger, I'm not sure, And I put makeup on them, and I wore my only, like, sweater that covered my neck. I remember being embarrassed because we had a formal lunch for a holiday lunch at our sorority where we were supposed to get a little bit more dressed up, and my sweater was really casual, but it was my only one that covered them. I didn't tell anybody about this. I was really embarrassed for being so drunk. I had a pattern of getting too drunk. I was like, great, now is another thing I did when I was drunk. I felt like I had probably done something to provoke this attack. I probably said something I don't remember that was mean or something. Who knows? And that must have been the reason why he chased me down the stairwell. It didn't occur to me that running from the second floor where the bedrooms were, that I was probably running from a dangerous situation. I thought it was, I kind of deserved whatever happened to me because I was drunk. I don't think I would have applied that same reasoning to another friend if someone was telling me this, but, you know, we often are much harsher on ourselves than we would be to our friends. I didn't know how to process this. I know that now, that I didn't know how to process it. 
But at the time, I just didn't have any emotions to it. I think I had really cut myself off from my body because I didn't have the tools to process it. And so I just felt nothing. I thought this isn't really that big of a deal. Even though I knew it was a big enough deal that I, if any, if I told anybody, people would be freaked out. So I just carried on. I didn't feel anything. I didn't cry. I didn't get angry. I put on that turtleneck. I went to lunch and I studied for finals. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know what to do with the information. I didn't tell, I don't recall telling anyone then. I, I vaguely recall telling a friend like maybe two years later, and I think that was my first friend, but I just didn't really do anything with it. I just told myself and believe this wasn't a big deal. Like this is kind of whatever. This was a, an unfortunate and weird event that happened that night. And I remembered this and I would occasionally revisit this event, assault, but I didn't think about it that much. So now let's go back to the crystal ceremony. So I'm lying down. We had just started and this memory presents itself. And I know with such clarity, the reason that my throat keeps closing is because I haven't looked at being strangled, that I haven't processed that, that I have emotions there that I need to feel. I was met on that mat with this wave of profound sadness and profound fear. I was feeling the sadness that I couldn't feel then, that I didn't feel safe enough to feel, and the fear, the fear of being chased and of being strangled, the fear that I had to fight to be able to breathe, the fear that this could happen to me in a place I spent so much time at and that we all spent so much time at, the fear that my safety and my autonomy was not up to me, the fear that comes from knowing that you are not safe. And I had to start to feel it. I had to. It was living inside of me and it was needing to be felt. And I also had to feel the sadness of it, the sadness of the sort of betrayal of this was a 19-year-old girl. The sadness that I thought that it was my fault for being strangled, that I could ever say something that would warrant being chased and strangled at a fraternity party. The sadness around not feeling like I could navigate the situation then. It was like it shook me. And as I was lying there wondering, wow, is this real? I had thought the re you know, that memory had presented itself as my throat was closing this whole year. But I had thought this can't be related because I wasn't bothered by it then. How could it be related when this hasn't didn't bother me then? I put on some makeup and continued with my day and it bothered me for the next nine years eight, seven years. So how could it possibly be bothering me now? And as I am lying there, the woman who's doing the energy work is, I could feel, I could feel her presence next to me and she was leaning over me. And then she puts a crystal on my throat and my mind is being blown. And I'm like, whoa, she knows it too. This was my first spiritual modality. I'd never been to anything like this. After the ceremony, we all kind of have an opportunity to share some reflections. I am like, my eyes are raw. I am speechless. Other people are sharing these wild experiences of feeling the crystals really hot. 
I ask the woman, how did you, or I ask her, why did you put the crystal on my throat? And she tells me, your throat chakra is blocked. You have something that you need to share with people. There's something that needs to get out. And I'm just, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'm like thinking in my mind, like, holy F. Whoa. I was I was blown away. I was blown away for a few different reasons. I knew with so much clarity that I needed to look at this. I needed to look at this. And even from that experience, I felt so much lighter. Like my whole body was shaking and buzzing because energy that had been stuck for so long. I know this now. I have now have the language for it. Energy that had been stuck in my body for so long got the opportunity to move and to be released. Honestly, from that day, my anxiety dropped a lot. It came back, which I'll get to. But for a few weeks, it dropped a lot. And I realized like I need to I need to journal about this. I need to do something with this because I had just like a month before gotten kind of spiritually curious. A good friend of mine, Bree, started a podcast called Shadow Light and it was really interesting to me. It's actually how I found the space um, at Raw Republic, this place that I was doing this workshop. So I was like, okay, probably need to journal about this. I had this sense of knowing, although it hadn't totally crystallized, that I would need to start to share this, that I would need to tell somebody about this, that beside my partner, like this wasn't something I could keep to myself. I realized that, and all these things, like they came to me so quickly where I was kind of like, It almost took me a few days to kind of unpack and really integrate all this information that I just felt had like dumped in my brain and also all this fear and sadness that was pouring out of me. I had realized that this fear that I had felt, fear that I had felt in that moment when I was being chased and strangled, the feeling of being unsafe stayed in me and so it was making me afraid of things. It was why I was sitting in the courthouse afraid because this fear was lived inside of me and it was stuck in me and I realized from this and kind of how I started to integrate it over the next I mean the next several weeks and months and also years that big emotions left unprocessed left untouched left unfelt stay and so the feeling state that you have then stay and then you start to experience it in other environments even when for example I have nothing to be afraid of Because I had this fear and it was left untouched and now it's coming back. I believe that this came back at this time because I was in such a good place in my life and so safe in so many relationships. And I had the space and capacity to look at this and to start to process it. That might not be true for everybody, but I think that is why it came at this time. I learned that there is a direct connection between my emotions and my body It's wild for me to even say that because now I know that so clearly. And I had to start to examine the shame that I had, that I was feeling around this, why I didn't let myself feel this before. My anxiety dropped a lot. And I remember being like, oh my God, I'm healed. All I have to do is feel my emotions. I'm healed. I'm healed. And like thinking this was amazing and starting to kind of um, like, just be blown away by this and it took like maybe two or three weeks and then the throat came back and it started it wasn't as severe but it it started to tighten again and I had this knowing inside of me that okay I need to share this because I can't really process these emotions totally alone now at this point I wasn't seeing a therapist but 
I did end up starting to work with one maybe six months after this. This happened right when I was I was living in New Orleans, but I was about to move to New York a few months later. And so that was a part of the reason why I didn't want to start seeing a therapist. I was like about to leave anyway. And my th- working with my therapist really helped me continue to evolve this. And I encourage anybody unpacking their traumatic experiences to do that with the support of a professional. But I had this knowing of I need to share this with people. And I was so scared to do that. I shared it with my partner, but with others. I was afraid that people would, this might, you know, I I would hope I wasn't going to cry during this, but this might be the place I do because I feel sad for the version of myself who was so afraid of this. I was afraid I would be judged for a number of reasons. I felt like people might not believe me. And they would question whether that really happened. I remember I had actually taken, I think, I had this fake memory of taking photos of the bruises the morning after. And in like the bathroom stall of my sorority or something. Just like, you know, I was living with a bunch of people. And I didn't want people to see it. And I remember thinking if I could just find the photos. And then when I tell people I could show them so then they'd believe me. And I remember feeling like I was being really dramatic for even caring about this and for being upset that I was strangled, thinking that this shouldn't be a big deal and I shouldn't be so upset about this, which I think is rooted in kind of this life story of mine about I feel like one of my themes in my life is that I feel emotions big and that it's okay to feel. Like it's a lesson that I think I'm will be I'm learning and have learned and probably will continue to learn that my emotions are real and big and valid and I don't have to be embarrassed about them. But I was embarrassed to have these emotions. I was embarrassed that I would get emotional talking about it. I felt like it was my fault. I knew at that point intellectually I had been enough involved in and reading about feminism, female empowerment, which comes up with drinking because of all the ex- violence against women. And then that violence being discredited because that woman was drunk. And I knew intellectually that it doesn't matter if you're drunk. You Being drunk does not warrant somebody to strangle you. It doesn't worry somebody to, to do anything to you. It's not your fault. I of now don't black out and I don't want to put myself, you know, in positions. But I was not, I don't blame myself for that. And I shouldn't be blamed for that. Being drunk does not give somebody else the right to do whatever they want with your body, to disrespect you, to project violence onto you, to make you unsafe, to take advantage of you. I knew that intellectually, but I didn't really forgive myself for that. I remember seeing a healer, like maybe, gosh, maybe like a year after this, telling me, you still have forgiveness to do. It took me a while to forgive myself because I felt like I let this happen to myself. And I was afraid of being rejected, of, of my friends and family not wanting any part of this. I still told them anyway because I needed to. I needed to give them the chance to. I, I needed to also because I felt this heaviness and I needed to relieve it. I started with my really good friend from law school. I think she was the first person. Called her. She was living in D.C. at the time. And she had nothing but sympathy and support and love and acceptance 
you know, not a single person I told has ever suggested that it was my fault, has ever suggested, has ever made me feel bad about being drunk, has even like, that has never even come up. I mean, I told them I was blacked out drunk because it's a critical part of the story because I don't remember so much of the context around this. Um, No one has ever blamed me. The responses are, I'm sorry you experienced that. That must have been really scary for you. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. I love you. They gave me hugs. They held my hand and they rubbed my back, either in person or that's what the motion and the feeling I got from them. They were angry with whoever did this and they were happy that I could tell them. And I continued to be blown away because I was so afraid, especially with the people that I was so afraid of. I remember telling my parents and being so afraid. I honestly am kind of surprised I'm so emotional because I've now so processed with the story and I like tell so many people about it that I didn't think I would be so emotional. But I think what I'm emotional about is if I mean, you might not be you could probably hear this, but I'm tearing up sharing this. If you could see me. And I think I'm just overwhelmed by the such love and support I received when I needed the support and when I was willing, when I was open to being vulnerable. I remember being so afraid of telling my parents because I was afraid they were going to be mad at me. I remember telling my girl, asking my girlfriends for support and they're like, they're not going to be mad at you. They love you. Your parents are so supportive. And of course they weren't mad. They were happy. I told them they acknowledged that that must have been scary for me and this experience of telling people and being so scared and having not my fears not come through true but actually receiving a lot of support it gave me this sense of intimacy with the other people and it gave me a sense of confidence because there was a part of myself that I was so embarrassed to let other people see And it acted as some sort of block or shield. It was like a foggy window between us. And whenever I could tell them something that I'm experiencing right now, something that's been heavy on my heart, and them love me and support me, it was like that window was cleaned. And we could see each other so much more fully. And... I learned this lesson, which I really think is one of the best lessons I will learn in my life. Certainly one of the best I've learned so far is that it is so powerful, one, to feel your emotions, but to let other people see your emotions, to give people an opportunity to support you. The people in my life wanted to support me. They want to support me. They always do. They love me. And I needed to give them the opportunity to support me. Because I needed their support so I could work through this experience that was painful and scary and left me feeling afraid in my body and afraid of the world. And I don't want to be afraid of the world. I don't want to be afraid that people are going to harm me. I don't want to carry that burden because somebody else just chose to harm me. And I'm not going to live the next, I was, I already lived eight years with that and I'm not going to live these several more decades carrying around that fear that I did not choose. I didn't have to hide this experience. I had this feeling inside me that I didn't have the right to be upset because this was my fault. And even as I was intellectually understanding that it wasn't my fault, these other people helped affirm me that it's okay. 
of course to be upset and you might be sounding this and be like duh of course they're going to be upset or bothered by that but I didn't know that because often when you experience this sort of intense experiences your relationship with your own emotions is not the same as like it's not necessarily it's scary it can feel scary to have them and to have the intensity of them and it can feel shameful especially in in an experience like this an assault and this was kind of a cycle so it would be like okay I'd tell a friend I'd feel so much better then it would get heavy and I would know like I need to tell some of the people who are really close to me then I need to tell people who are close to me now I need to tell my some of my family I need to share this. It was also giving me like profound knowledge and awakening about the power of emotions and a power of being seen and the power of being supported and the power of accepting parts of yourself and kind of coming out as your whole self and what that feels like. It felt so liberating. It felt confident. It made me feel so much more capable and like I could handle shit. And so... I wanted to talk about this and so I would share it and it was kind of this thing where it was like it kind of went up and down and even I remember thinking even by the time I saw my therapist two years ago I was like oh this is healed like there's nothing more to look at in this but it was like oh but you haven't told your parents and you're scared too and I was like okay so maybe it's maybe it's not healed and that was when I saw the uh, uh, energy healer who was like you have a lot of forgiveness to do around this and I remember being kind of pissed that she said that because I was like, no, this is healed. And she was like, your voice totally changes when you talk about it. You have to cut yourself off with yourself. You become like monotone, which was true. I kind of had to have this outsider perspective. Like I was reading like a a fact sheet, totally devoid of any emotions, because if I access my emotions too much with it, I would cry. And there's nothing wrong with crying. I can share the story and share it from a place of empowerment and confidence and a real desire to share and processing and cry about it because it still makes me sad and it's still difficult and I'm still overwhelmed by different aspects of the whole thing. My throat anxiety faded tremendously over the next two years as I continued to share this and has mostly gone away. It didn't totally go away, but it went away. It decreased tremendously my relationship with it changed and it wasn't something that I was trying to avoid in the same way so as I was opening up and as I was sharing more of myself and as I was sharing more of my true self in in my authentic self in the whole range the part of me that is fun and sparkly and the part of me that is sad and scared and embarrassed and the whole part it started to dissipate I have so much respect for my body I'm sad that it experienced this and I'm sad that I ignored it for so long, but I'm happy I eventually started listening and I thank it for telling me that I needed to pay attention and for communicating to me and I am grateful for the wisdom and the intelligence it holds and I know the, the more I connect with my body and this has really borne out for me, the more I have the opportunity to work through things that I need to work through and also to just like support myself and to feel really good and feel confident and feel expressive. This is kind of an aside, but like that spiritual experience totally kicked me off on an entire spiritual path. I was blown away that I could get so much clarity and so much relief from this one 
um, it was like a $40 workshop with these two modalities I had never heard of, I guess, kind of three crystals, energy healing and um, sound healing, a sound bath. And I was just like, holy shit, I can't believe I could be so profoundly impacted. And it gave me a lot of trust and curiosity and interest into these different modalities. And I spent the next three years, I mean, I'm still doing it now. Now it's becoming more of my work and I'm exploring it more from being able to share this with other people, exploring these different modalities. That's another episode too. So here I am in that present and from this and from the story number two, I now feel so strongly about the importance of emotions and the value of emotions and the value with connecting and learning and making it a priority to have a relationship with your emotions. These are not something that are just an inconvenience. This is intelligence and this is a way we communicate with the world and communicate with ourselves. I am angry that we live in a world where I felt like, and I know others have had this experience and this feelings too, that there was something wrong with me for being strangled, that I deserved that, that we shame people for the assaults they experience as being their fault because they were drinking. And I'm sad that I didn't feel like I had the tools then. I didn't feel comfortable sharing. I am not embarrassed anymore. I'm not embarrassed for being impacted by this experience. I'm not, I like, it's, I mean, this is an ongoing effort, but I really try not to be embarrassed by any of my emotions because they are real and they're valid and they're true and they're a part of me. I wouldn't ever, I don't want to ever glamorize these sorts of experiences and I wouldn't say like, oh wow, I'm so glad this happened, but I am happy with the way I responded to it and I'm proud of myself for that and I celebrate myself for that. Even if it took me eight years and I like totally ignored it for the first, you know, this whole year of the throat anxiety and I was like, no, that can't be related. Eventually I listened and I'm glad I did. I feel extremely grateful to have support in the form of a therapy and to be able to afford seeing a therapist and have access to that. And I'm proud of myself for feeling the fear and walking through it. And knowing that it was scary and, and asking for support anyway. My hope is that sharing this story with you might help support you in viewing some of your emotions differently or being more okay with experiencing your emotions or maybe thinking differently about letting people into parts of your story. I can only share from my experience here, you know, like I don't. I don't know what your experience is like or what it's like to be you, of course. And I would never prescribe to anybody like, oh, do this and it'll work. For me, I needed to share about it. That's not necessarily the case for everybody. Not everybody feels a need to share. I actually knew like probably a year ago, I remember sitting in my apartment that I'm at now in our backyard and thinking like, holy shit, you're going to at some point tell this story and the story in the, in the part two publicly like on some sort of platform and crying and being like, fuck, I wish I didn't have to do that. But knowing I needed to, like there's a part of me, it's actually reflected in my human design chart, a modality I'm super interested in, that has this need to express myself. It's it's a need and it's a gift. And not everybody has that. So I don't mean to suggest that like all you need to do is start sharing this. That's not the case. But I do encourage you to always extend to yourself some grace and some love and support forever wherever you're at and I want you to know that I'm so happy that you're here and I'm so grateful 
that you are still listening and for your support. And I'm looking forward to continuing this conversation with you and to talking about self-expression and the things that fractures our self-expression. So if you resonated with this podcast or you're curious to hear more, subscribe, share it with a friend, post it on social media. That's really helpful. Tag my Instagram handle at Wild River. That's where you can find me. I'll have a website soon and it will be in the show notes when I have one. Let me know if this resonated. Send me a direct message. Tell me what landed with this. Tell me how you feel about it. You can leave a review. I'm going to do something fun like every month. Um, Anyone who leaves a review and sends me like a screenshot of their review, either direct message or emails me at wildriverhumandesign at gmail.com. I will enter in to give a 90-minute human design reading for free for um, it doesn't have to be a five-star review. Just, um, I always ask that people are constructive and respectful, but I appreciate the feedback and I'm really excited to be doing this. And I'm excited to be sharing with you. Thank you for holding space for my story and I will talk with you soon. Bye.